0: Welcome to The Real Python Podcast. This is episode 94. Are you looking for a project to practice your Django skills? Designing the fundamental interactions of a social network is an instructive way to explore models and relationships while learning advanced Django skills. This week on the show, we talk with previous guest Martin Broice about his new four-part series titled Build a Social Network with Django. Martin talks about the design process and ways to include user-focused features. He shares a handy CSS library to make your Django front end look modern with minimal effort. We digress into a discussion of personal versus professional use of social networks, and we also talk about the additional real Python resources to build out the rest of your project. This episode is brought to you by Honey Badger. Honey Badger offers error monitoring, uptime, and cron monitoring designed to tame your production and make you a better, more productive Python developer. All right, let's get started. The Real Python Podcast is a weekly conversation about using Python in the real world. My name is Christopher Bailey, your host. Each week, we feature interviews with experts in the community and discussions about the topics, articles, and courses found at realpython.com. After the podcast, join us and learn real-world Python skills with a community of experts at realpython.com. Hey, Martin, welcome back to the show.
1: Hi, Chris. Glad to be back.
0: Yeah, we're diving into a, a pretty intense set of tutorials that you wrote That's kind of all culminates in one really big project and all all of them come out in the last couple weeks so it's a four-part series which i think is really cool we end up talking a lot about django here which has been interesting and uh, this is another kind of large django sort of step by it's not per se a step-by-step project but it's a, a large project that you're building when did you start on this thing
1: oh yeah that's been a while ago i think i actually started writing this just after i started working full-time for RealPython, which is soon going to be a year ago. So it's been a long time in the making.
0: Yeah, I saw David's name on it. I saw a couple other people that, you know,
1: a lot of people helping you. Yeah, a lot of people worked on it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, maybe we could talk a a little bit about the article series and and the project.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, So first of all, I'm really happy that it's out now, to be honest, uh, because of this long process. (laughs) It's really nice to see these things also, you know, like come to a, a final spot. And then actually make it to the light of day. <laughs> so,
0: yeah, yeah, definitely.
1: The project in itself is uh, to to build a very tiny social media platform. Was kind of the idea behind it to just give you, yeah. So so it really doesn't it doesn't do a lot, but uh, it kind of like sets the stage for what what are the basics of a social media net- network. I would say, yeah. Uh, and that's really just to create some sort of content and then be able to you know like view a bunch of profiles and view their content and then decide who you want to follow and uh, who you want to not follow. I guess like you choose whom to follow and you can unfollow profiles as well. And that's yeah, that's kind of like the basis for a lot of social media that's out there, I would say.
0: Yeah, it definitely, you know, this is definitely the foundation of where you would think to sort of start there. Like, okay, you need to create these connections between the different users and the ability to sort of uh, curate like what you want to follow and and look at. And then you can really dive into the nitty gritty of all the other complexities (laughs) and so forth. I like the first part where you actually took some time to say, if you're going to create a project like this, you as the creator of something like this need to decide what's going to be in it or maybe you can kind of describe like how you you did in the the article
1: i guess one point here is that the best thing i found to do when you start working on on any sort of digital project probably any sort of project is that you take a moment before you start working on it and try to limit the scope right figure out i mean give your brain a bit of freedom and just dream dream up what could it be in the long run you know uh, take notes about this of course but then once you're there just try to figure out what's really the a, a thing that you can um, accomplish and what's really the essence of it <laughs> right and then start with that and um, see whether you can get the, whether you can get that to work because just having too many uh, too many things that you want to implement and start working on them actually right away and start coding right away uh, just puts you into like it just i don't know you this happened. I don't know if it happens to everyone, but it <laughs> happens to me that I then like code myself into a corner, so to say, and then sure. I spend a lot of work on something that doesn't go anywhere, and the project stays unfinished, and it's kind of frustrating, and you end up not really having anything.
0: I, I it's been a theme, I think, that we've talked about it. I think with Ricky, mm. you know, what he was talking about in creating his RSS uh, aggregator, mm-hmm. and then a couple times with the video game. People that I've had on the show that talk about creating video games by using Python is this idea that, okay, yes, you've seen other amazing games that are out there that have a billion features, but what is it that you can create and stand up and then get to a complete status? Because I, what I think can happen sometimes is you get in the weeds of these really elaborate things and then you start to, the maybe the waterline starts kind of climbing above your head and you're like, you know, oh my God, I just want to get out of this <laughs> yeah, totally, because <laughs> I'm drowning <laughs> and I would rather like just abandon this thing. Cause it, you know, it almost killed me trying to do this thing. Whereas if you can kind of keep it safely <laughs> in a bowl on the table <laughs> yeah. and get it kind of all kind of organized in a way you could kind of like, okay, and now I can show this to somebody else, you know, as opposed to like having to drag them into the the deep end of the swimming pool with you to <laughs> <laughs> show you where you where you got stuck
1: I, I imagine you know and also like because you have this idea that this these games are projects that uh, because you see them most likely in a very finished polished state yeah but that's not how they started out either so just you know having this this wish or like this feeling that you need to create something as polished and feature complete uh, as the thing that You've seen uh, it's most likely unrealistic, and also also from the perspective of that project that you're seeing, you're just you're seeing it at a different at a different stage. I know if you if you think about Twitter, right? Yeah, which is uh, what this social media platform that uh, that I'm building out in this four part series is uh, is based on, right? It's like it's been around for a really long time. There's been so much money and people power invested into making this platform what it is, right? so yeah (laughs) you don't you're not gonna make that
0: well even they have done like crazy things in the last two years even of trying to grab whatever the zeitgeist is happening in the world of social media and it's like oh we should be doing uh articles also we should be doing Mm -hmm. uh subscriptions somehow and we should be doing recording uh group things or whatever and sort of a bit f- flailing around, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, and so you can kind of see that happen there too, but also it probably started not that dissimilar to what you have here. Like very, very simple. I remember, uh, I was just thinking about doing podcasting, you know, many years ago and I went to this, uh, they called it pod camp mm-hmm. and it was, uh, in Arizona. And I, I met this guy, Eva Terra there, who's kind of You know, a guy does podcasting about podcasting and he's one of those people that talks about what's happening there. But Twitter was so new that people still had it sending all of the tweets to individuals as text messages also. Uh Uh-huh. And oh, Somebody <laughs> brought up their bill <laughs> from the phone company, and it had itemized all of the text messages they had been sent, and it was like, "Oh my God, <laughs> that had been so, sent to them, yeah, from- it was like kind of this crazy thing that 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 was part of the billing at the time, and I was like, "Oh, this is not sustainable <laughs> <That's crazy. laughs> yeah, so but anyway, you so you can kind of see like things have changed a lot, yeah, they' <laughs> kind that's of very gone far, <laughs> yeah. So you chose to use Django for this project. What were some of your reasons for doing that?
1: Well, it's I guess it's pretty simple. This one, it's just that's the Python web framework I have the most experience with. So this is this is basically why I chose it. I'm sure like you could have built this with uh, other Python web frameworks as well, or or other. I mean, non Python web framework frameworks, of course. Yeah, but uh, for, I'm just the most familiar with Django, so that's my. That's my go-to web framework.
0: <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. I, I'm familiar with Miguel Grinberg, uh-huh. who does a lot of Flask tutorials, and he had kind of a mega Flask tutorial. Yeah,
1: I think that's a pretty popular one.
0: Yeah, and it does a similar thing where you're, you're building a kind of a similar kind of, uh, you know, simple Twitter-like social network kind of thing. It goes... You know, it's really, it's literally called the mega tutorial. So it goes much further into, you know, the uh, standing up and hosting it or, you know, getting into images and, you know, other kind of media and stuff like that, which, you know, would make your tutorial even, even much more in depth.
1: Well, you know, one of the good things about publishing these types of tutorials within the scope of real Python is that there's other pieces that you can fit things together with, you know, so that that you don't actually need to describe everything because if you start on that, like... Uh, like you see, like with this one, it went into four full-size tutorials because it's uh, covering quite a bit of ground, but I'm still not covering many things. For example, uh, I, I decided to not include user creation or, or authentication uh, just because of the scope of the tutorial and I wanted to limit it. And uh, because we have a nice one about user authentication on the site yeah, that I can just link to and say... Um, and actually, uh, like I thought about this and tried to set the um, structure of the project that it was building, uh, very similar to how the person who wrote the um, authentication tutorial set it up, so that then yeah. a reader could actually just jump from the, the Twitter project when, they, when they're done with it or at any point, really, to this other tutorial and then integrate the user authentication themselves.
0: Yeah, nice. Yeah, it's, it, I guess that really is kind of an advantage. There's this wealth of uh, additional information that you can kind of point to and say... There's a much deeper dive that's going to take you further into this. You can learn the basics from it and kind of go and kind of continue that path. But yeah, there's a lot of re- additional resources we have now.
1: And sometimes it's hard to to know because there's something nice about the tutorial just being self-standing from start to finish. Sure. And where you don't need to, where you don't actually need to go anywhere to build something out, right? And and we kind of always want to have this. I think this is something we do at RealPython, that that this tutorial remains self-standing. but yeah, uh, as, when you go into more complex, building more complex applications and you want to uh, explain it uh, in the way that I guess I like to teach of, of really going uh, uh, somewhat hand-holding and walking people through the process of building things. Right. If yeah. if you want to do that, uh, it just takes a lot of words and a lot of code blocks and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> stretches out very quickly. Yeah, but so there's the trade-off there.
0: Yeah, you use a lot of uh, what I would consider sort of martin signature techniques in this (laughs) (laughs) series uh calling back to our very early episode uh, of like learning through errors
1: yeah i had to sneak some one of those in at least
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah totally and which i still think is a really an effective way to to kind of get through that and uh, even though django's errors can be quite verbose you can still Get a lot of out of it, you know. Kind of, you know, what's happening? How is this happening? And it's yeah, kind of good to make a few of them and, and become more comfortable with, like, okay, well, what is it showing me here? And
1: yeah, just get into the habit of like understanding that you can read these things. And if you there's like there's been a programmer on the other end of this error message who wrote this, you know, a while ago, or probably a lot of people who <laughs> decided on what's a good error message here, and they they're just trying to be helpful, right? So if you if you take this advice and you don't you not know, get scared by it, then you actually can come to a you know you can work your way from just reading this and implementing what the suggestions usually. And that, so in the first part of this series, there's an example like that where where uh, yeah where, where you're kind of like wondering or I'm, I'm wandering together with the reader, I hope kind of just, that's the idea of, okay, so, so here we are, and this is what's happening.
0: Let's wander together.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Let's wander together. How can, we, how can we maybe solve this little thing that's happening here? And then it doesn't work the first try. You get a message, you try to do what's in the message. It doesn't work, but you get a different message. So you try this other thing, and eventually, just by following this, you, you get to a point where we have got a working version. And I think, yeah, showing this, I, I really find it important to show these processes because there's so much, yeah, there's so much, you know, mystery around this whole digital products that where you don't really know what's going on there or how, how did it get to be the way it is. Right. Uh, and I guess that ties a bit back into also, also this, like, what's a, what's a bare bones social network? Because many of us have like these experiences of uh, daily interactions with, with social networks, I guess. I, I'm probably not one of the biggest proponents of that but uh people spend a lot of time on there and it's it's got so much it adds so much value to people's lives and also negative things maybe we can talk about this a bit too
0: yeah i'd like to talk about it a little more just coming from like the programmer's perspective of like using them in a lot of ways so i think we could kind of dive a little further into that yeah. later but uh yeah just to sum up the the thought is it's, it's
1: kind of like so you see this polished network and, and then it's kind of like the question how like how can I not just be a user of something, but also uh, can step like just reduce the barrier of understanding that you can also be a creator in, in these uh, yeah. areas uh, that touch your life a lot or that have impacts on many people's lives? Um, yeah, I think that's a that's an important message in education and in programming education that I I
0: guess like to like to work with. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Let's face it, your Python code is amazing but it's still going to have errors. When errors do happen, it's nice to know Honey Badger has your back. Honey Badger sends you alerts in real time with all the context needed to see what's causing the error and where it's hiding so you can quickly fix it and get on with your day. The included uptime and cron monitoring lets you know when your external services are having issues or your background jobs go missing or silently fail. Go to honeybadger.io and start being your team's, or your own, DevOps hero today. That's honeybadger.io. Maybe we could talk about, I know it's a lot to cover the whole thing, but maybe we could just dissect the uh, sort of overview. Like you have a <laughs> this collapsible thing, which I'm really enjoying uh-huh. appearing more <laughs> and more in the articles over the last couple of years that, okay, if you want to see a little more information, you can kind of expand that, the show-hide buttons on the RealPython site.
1: Uh, yeah, so the first part, uh, part one, models and relationships, The I think that was uh, one of the initial ideas for the tutorial was this idea of how, how can different models interact with each other, so how do different tables in a database interact with each other essentially, the models are this abstraction that, that Django does. Uh, yeah, I, I just wanted to have a tutorial that kind of like shows a couple of Yeah, a couple of different model interactions, I guess. And so what's happening here in the first part is uh, something uh, that's called extending the Django user model, which is a way that you can add additional information to the built-in Django user model. So Django comes with a lot of stuff, and one of the things is uh, a user table. Yeah, that comes out of the box. You can just uh, install Django, and then you can already have users without needing to write any models yourself. Yeah. But these users are relatively limited, no? And so they have certain
0: yeah, they're super simple.
1: <laughs> some things that they have, and that's it. And then if you want to have more, for example, a profile, or in this case, you want to have a list of followers, right? Or I think the way it's implemented is a list of people that you follow. And then you need to have this, uh, you need to save this extra information somewhere. And it makes sense to associate it with the user, but you got to do something to be able to do that. And I think the, the general term that's used in the Django community for that is extending the Django user model. And there's s- several ways of doing that. And I've just gone for one where you make a, a one-to-one relationship to the existing user model. So every time a user gets created, it also creates this profile and the profile holds the extra information and they're tightly connected. So there's one profile per user, essentially. And I think that's an interesting pattern kind of to, to see. Uh, that's That's one of those types of model relationships uh, and that's kind of like the the base idea for the for part one of this tutorial
0: so that you're doing the like a one-to-one relationship with the profile Mm -hmm. model
1: yeah so the the user model is the built-in one and then it has a one-to-one relationship to the profile model that that you're writing in this tutorial
0: okay cool and then you you cover uh, something i haven't heard the the term of before having not delve that deep into Django I, I keep kind of finding these fun things in the different tutorials like the one with uh I was talking with Ricky about some of the features that he was explaining the sort of uh, scheduling mm-hmm. tricks and tips you are using this or implementing a post save hook what is that
1: uh yeah that's a fun thing that it's a Django signal as so a Django comes with this idea of signals that uh, when something happens somewhere in the app it can it, it can send out a signal and then also and then you can receive it on on a different in a different place or also in a different app. So if, if your project, Django project, con- consists of more apps, then you can have other apps receive signals from uh, from a different point in a different app, et cetera. So it's a message that's sent out, so to say, that you can receive and then do something when you receive the message. And okay. yeah, there's a couple of built-in ones and one of them is the post-save hook, which is a, a signal that comes from the database. So if, you know, a new entry was added to the database and was saved in the database, then this, uh, this triggers, and then you can hook into that uh, and just say, okay, so after this new user was created, in that case, we okay, let me. So if you if you create a new user uh, of the built-in user model, yeah, uh, you kind of somehow need to connect this to the profile model that you wrote yourself, right? So that that you make sure that these one these two are connected always, and that a new profile gets created when a new user gets created, and that's where this post save hook comes in that you say. Like we set it up in a way that when the user gets saved, the new user gets saved, then it creates automatically creates this associated profile instance and also saves that to the database.
0: So nice. Yeah, those kind of signals are could be used in other ways, like like you're saying, like at the end of the process of like someone, let's say in your case, you're writing one of those little blog statements, the tweets as you call them in this one. Mm The moment that person hits save, it's going into the database being saved, but you're saying after that moment, the database can send a message saying, okay, I, I saved one of these things. And so then that could like potentially trigger alerts or correct do some mm-hmm. other kind of actions. Okay.
1: Yeah, yeah. And there's other ones. There's, uh, I think, like the database ones are used relatively often. Uh, and then there's also some signals built in about when when this when a request object that, that Django uses to communicate uh, w- when certain actions happen, when when that gets started, or also when it uh, when the request finishes. I think there's like also built-in signals for that. But you can also define your own signals for anything. So yeah, it's a fun. It's some sort of Maybe I'm wrong when I say this, but it's something like a, a message queue thing.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it sounds like it.
1: Where it's just uh, communication between different parts of the application. And uh, yeah, the Django has some sort of awareness
0: that you can tap into. Yeah, th- it's funny because all of that stuff is, in this case, since it's you know, kind of a s- small scale project at the moment, you can kind of do it all inside of the Django framework tools. But what I was learning as I was checking out like Ricky's one or a few other things, or even some just job postings that I saw recently that involved Django mm-hmm. is that this sort of traffic of messages <laughs> be, can become like all, so intense and need to be managed that there are like, you know, like entire queue systems and, and frameworks that, that are just around that. Right, exactly. Yeah, uh, like one is is Rabbit, and then there's a couple other ones I had heard of, and I, you know, I, I haven't worked at that scale, and so that's one of these things where you hear of these names of things, and you go, okay, well, what is that thing doing? And it's like, well, <laughs> when you move to a scale and you have like thousands of users and and so forth, internal systems that are built, you know, kind of for maybe different purposes. Uh, can definitely get overwhelmed.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's also why I wasn't sure whether it's the right term for it, because I also know these big ones, <laughs> and I know they're called like messaging or message queue systems. And Yeah, I'm not sure, yeah, yeah. exactly. I, I would assume it's pretty much, it's a similar thing uh, within Django, like you said, but...
0: Yeah, I want to learn more about hmm. it. I, I'm definitely going to try to dive into that somewhere uh, as I continue on. Kind of continuing on in the series, you spend quite a bit of part two talking about sort of front end stuff which is something a lot of django users maybe don't think about that often um they might just kind of choose a very simple sort of template uh, and and just kind of go with it but i enjoyed that you took the time to to show a new tool that that i wasn't familiar with you you were showing off a, a thing called bulma yep if i'm pronouncing it right i think um, you are <laughs> I wouldn't you know. know what, <laughs> okay <laughs> Tell me a little bit about it. Like, how did you find it, and and what is uh what is Bulma doing in this case?
1: Uh, cool. Yeah, Bulma is a CSS framework similar to Bootstrap, which is I think the most famous of of the lot. Yeah, and it's it works actually in a in a very similar way that you that the framework de- defines certain CSS style rules and gives you know like gives those gives those names that you can then put on your HTML elements to style them in the way that's defined in the framework.
0: Yeah. You got all these great tags, like ready to go. Like, okay, this is what you'd use for buttons, or this is what you would use for mm-hmm. sort of chunks of text and, and and so forth, so that you can just sort of notate them in, in the little bit of HTML that you might have to write.
1: Right, yeah. And I think as far as I know, there's no JavaScript component to Bulma. So it's really just the CSS framework, while um, Bootstrap has also this JavaScript component yeah. for some things. But uh, apart from that, it's, it's pretty similar. It's really just what you need to do is know about which classes exist and then apply them to your HTML elements and you get pretty nice. Well, and you need to include the uh, style sheet, the Bulma style sheet, but you can do this via a uh, CDN, which is what I'm showing in the tutorial too, where you just add it at the in the head of your um of your base template basically so that it propagates to all of your templates and th- is available everywhere and then it just loads it on the internet and uh, applies the styles for you essentially you can also obviously you can you can download it and you can include it in your in your project directly, but that's just again going back to you know how do you design a big project like that yeah that you want to teach step-by-step. Step, how can you... My, so my idea here was why I wanted to include this CSS framework was because I, I think it's easier to be proud of a project that you build if it actually looks kind of nice because otherwise it's, <laughs> it's always a little... Especially if you're showing it yeah. to you know like people who are not that much.
0: Yeah, if it just shows up and it looks like '90s web, yeah, uh, Times New Roman, you're just like. <laughs> but it's gonna be nice. But, yeah, it's <laughs> right, <laughs> but people can't get past that.
1: <laughs> yeah, especially if you show it to people who don't do much with programming. I don't know if you want to show a, a project right. to your family that you've been working on. Look, I've been learning Django programming. Uh, I made this website, and then you show it to someone, and. <laughs> There's like some sort of there's a very very high expectation from people who are not um, who don't do anything with programming that the design would look good, otherwise it's not really worth much
0: yeah right. everything that's on the web looks amazing right generally <laughs> uh, you know if it doesn't then you know we we question yeah. it very quickly <laughs> you know there's sort of a uh, even a design level that you know you could kind of go back and look at five years ago ten years ago and so forth and very easily. Be able to tell the, <laughs> the age the archaeological or geological age of the internet, <laughs> and if
1: you try to uh, you know explain any sort of finesse of uh, how your model relations are set up uh, and interact with each other to any of anyone who isn't in this field they're, they're just not going to be very interested, probably yeah, so I think it's nice, yeah you build a project and you, you want it to be something that you can show off also uh, i don't know just to some friends maybe or also also to if you're applying somewhere you know it's it never hurts if it looks nice so i wanted to have this visual component part of it yeah
0: that's great yeah i i like that it doesn't have javascript for a couple reasons um partly because of just it's a whole other additional rabbit hole that you can kind of get sort of caught up in and so i like the idea that it's is sort of self-contained in in the fact that it's a, a css and css is extremely powerful now as far as like doing everything from knowing what type of viewport you're looking at like on the you know is it is it need to be mobile on a phone or an ipad so mm-hmm. all those components are are doing that sort of uh scaling automatically which i was really impressed with it so
1: and a lot of these uh, css frameworks they take that into account and give you relatively easy to remember class names that you can apply that then yeah. change the viewport sizes and uh, like change the styling depending on that type of stuff. And Bootstrap includes that too. And you can use Bootstrap also just as a pure CSS thing. You don't need the JavaScript, right? But it's not really designed like that. For me, I never really liked the style that Bootstrap gives you. I guess it's also a part of it. And I think the style that you get with Bulma CSS is, is pretty nice.
0: Yeah, cool. So this, the industrial parts that you're doing in part two are kind of, you know, I mentioned the front end styling, mm-hmm. but then you're also kind of setting up the initial sort of templates and, and things that the user would be looking at, right?
1: Yeah, it's like the the standard uh, website thing, you know, like you have a list of all the user profiles or a list of all items of something, and then individual pages for each of those items. This is like a, a very common Concept in, in many websites, you know, if you think of a shop, for example, you have a list of items you can buy and right. individual or user list and then user profiles, like in this case. Um, so yeah, this is some standard website setup that you could also do in a different way. Like I'm I'm using function based views in here. You, this is also something that Django has pretty nice uh, solutions in, in class based views. So if you want a little challenge, you could go in there and try to rewrite rewrite it in a, with class based views. Um, something you could try out to play around with, but uh, I guess this brings me to who, who is this project really for? Yeah, which is I think it's if you've been working, so Django is not completely new to you, and if uh, maybe you've gone through this intro project on the Django website, the the polls tutorial, and maybe you yeah yeah you wrote one or two other Django projects, and I think that's a good uh, place to pick up this tutorial. Um, I I wouldn't recommend it as your first foray into django (laughs) yeah even though it's not very complex and i and i go very i go step by step type of way in the way that i like to teach but i still i think it's easier if you've already written a django app before
0: yeah i think of the um well the course that you have that is super popular on it too the um the portfolio one Uh would be a good a good one after maybe doing the poll one
1: yeah i think that could be a nice if you do the polls one you, you do this um, into the Django to course and then, uh, and then you're well-equipped to go through this one, I think. And because it also introduces a couple of other things with this front-end styling and, well, I guess something like the the, the signals that yeah. it's not... Yeah, you you don't use it for every Django, app, smaller Django project, I would say.
0: Yeah, you're kind of stacking on top of that, which is really cool, yeah. Mm-hmm. So then you'd kind of dive into finally... Okay, now that you have users and you have profile pages, and people can kind of look at those relationships and now see those relationships created through the templates. In part three, you dive into the act of, you know, okay, different users following users and then actually creating these the individual messages right. or tweets, as you call them. And I, I don't know, did you keep the same limit of uh, how many characters? <laughs> I did have the old Twitter
1: limit, so it's 140. <laughs> it is 140, okay. <laughs> yeah, I, so this is... Uh, I guess there's not that much new introduced in this part. Uh, it's again more uh, just, you know, like standard website Django tasks here. Just go work, work, what do you need to do to build out a project, uh, a page that works. Yeah. And implementing some of some of the logic for how can you follow and unfollow another profile. Uh, how do you implement that on the back end? I think maybe what 's interesting in this one is that I first walk through how you can do a lot of the logic inside of your templates because you can follow these relationships of of your models, which is you know one of those themes in the, in this whole, whole tutorial. Well How are the models related to each other? Sure, and you can a, a step through a lot of these relationships directly in the templates with this with a dot syntax uh, in Django. this is how how Django gives you access to these uh, relationships as well, which which I thought is kind of interesting to maybe know about. And so the first type of implementation of this uh, happens in the templates, but then later you also go back and with the thought of, yeah, okay, so this type of logic probably shouldn't live inside of the template because the template is more for the representation uh, and not so much for the logic. And then we move it over into the views and do a lot of the logic in the views uh, file and then just send the already Filter data over to the templates to just display it. And uh, yeah, I thought it's interesting to know that you can do it in the templates and then also maybe use it as a reasoning of why you don't want to do it in the templates and why you want to do it instead. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. What uh, actually, one thing, uh, because we were talking about, you know, the thinking about the design of what you want what, to, what project you want to build and also like, this idea of what 's a minimal project or what 's the scope that you can, right. that you can actually realistically present one thing that i 'm kind of sad about that i didn 't put it in here is the possibility to block users okay. uh, I, I was thinking about it quite a bit because I think it 's one of those it 's one of those ideas that kind of like scratch to uh, problems with social media as well where there 's a lot of harassment that happens online. And right. people don't necessarily know, uh, uh, not, don't necessarily have the tools to protect themselves. And it's something that I think, as a developer, it's really good to think about this type of stuff when you create your projects, when you create your platforms. Uh, like, how is this act, actually going to be used by my users, and what's potential ways that they might be in like not great situations? You know, like how can you protect your users from from things that could happen? You know,
0: right? Blocking would be a pretty pretty big one yeah depending on the the users and the way that users interact with you and then you know talking about signals and messages like is that something the other person would be alerted to would they know you yeah. know there's like other there's types of techniques like of muting a different individual or even just like being able to filter out certain types of content um which i think would be yeah yeah that would be a fascinating thing to try to add <laughs> you know, kind of on a lighter note lately on Twitter, there's this new game that everybody's into. That's this word game called wordle and you might get tired of seeing it. I don't, I have probably maybe I don't know, 10 or 20 people that are in my timeline that I, I see them kind of posting this stuff. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think it's fascinating. I personally, like if, if I was playing a game and it asked me to post it, I I don't think I would like, I, I don't choose to do that. So it's definitely a choice on those people's part. But it's nice that there is the ability to say mute yeah. <laughs> this. You know, you know, maybe you're not into <laughs> seeing those things in your timeline all the time. And
1: totally, yeah. And giving these tools to people, like to your users, uh, it's kind of you know, it's a it's a responsibility that you have as a person creating something that you, in a way, you know, think about think about that <laughs> and give people these opportunities.
0: Yeah, right. Like give them control over the feed, like. One of the things that I have disliked, if you will, about certain social media constructs is this idea of them taking over your feed and throwing messages into this sort of algorithmic soup that then they pop out like what's popular. Mm -hmm. And they think that is what you, individual would most likely be interested in is this is what, you know, this is the zeitgeist or whatever it is. My problem with that is I have a lot of friends that I care deeply about that are not popular. (laughs) (laughs) And so their, their stuff maybe has like one like or two likes, and I love to see what they do. And there's no way for me to sort of there's no uh, was <laughs> the one on MySpace. There's no top five or top eight or whatever it is that you know. like mm-hmm. These are the people that I really want to you know pay attention to what they're doing. Like just leave my timeline alone. And then they attempt to do it, but I still feel like if you use like a separate tool, like you're still seeing things in kind of a slightly different order. And it's hard, you know, if when you get like you know I have a small number, like I think maybe I follow like sub 500 people. Uh, at the moment just by choice mm-hmm. so like i could probably complete my timeline you know like of what happened in the day or whatever since i last checked in if i wanted to but i think a lot of people just they don't they just you know they have thousands and thousands
1: so is a um is like twitter
0: the social media network that you use the most right now it is yeah and partly because of the industry i i I sort of like claimed bankruptcy on a previous <laughs> Twitter account I had. <laughs> I basically said, "All right, I, I'm going to just bail out on this one because I it would be too much work for me to sort of like just to to reform it into the thing that I want." Uh-huh. I didn't understand how to use the tool, and so I started again in 20. Oh, uh, maybe late 2018, and said, "Okay, I'm going to be this is a programmer, Chris, um, <laughs> or whatever you want to call him." All
1: right, that's interesting. So, so the way you use uh, social, uh, like social media, primarily
0: is to for for this online representation. Is that is that right? It is not necessarily entirely my representation, but it was somewhat. Mm-hmm. I wanted to follow a whole new set of topics, a whole new set of people, and what they would share. And I've expanded it some cool. but I, I was kind of burnt out on the other set of topics and things that I was doing. And so I had a new email address and I said, all right, I'm just gonna try this new thing and do this thing. And then it kind of, well, whatever, it sort of snowballed downhill. It kind of like got bigger and bigger. And I, you know, I joined Real Python and then, you know, started doing the video tutorials and then, you know, did the podcast. And so I think a lot of people still don't know that that I'm not real Python, like that account. (laughs) If they were to look like and connect it with the podcast, that I'm the separate thing, digiglean, Uh (laughs) um, which is fine. And so I, and I don't really promote myself because I don't really tweet that much. I I mainly follow and look for guests, try to figure out like what people are talking about and kind of get an idea of their background. And it, it's a, it's a way that I can try to communicate with people in, and not be super, intrusive Mm -hmm. you know i can kind of get what they're into and what they're doing and a lot of people share more likely share their twitter profile than their email address uh in a talk um so if i've seen their talk or something like that on uh at a conference and and so those are kind of some of the ways that i've been using it to kind of gather and and find guests and by the way if if you're interested in coming on the show um i've had a couple people reach out recently that is a way to connect with me <laughs> if you're interested but yeah that's how i kind of decided to do it yeah
1: now i said then write digi glean on on twitter is that right
0: yeah yeah d-i-g-i uh g-l-e-a-n
1: and so and you've had a couple of uh, you've had a you found a couple of people for the podcast through through Twitter like that
0: yeah 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 it's been really useful that way
1: yeah it's pretty amazing this uh, opportunities that you get from it you know like it's it's really just it's cool to connect with people like that
0: yeah and so you know on the other side of it like i don't like all the stuff that twitter by default sends me though like all the things that it thinks i should be engaged with which is like political fighting and mm-hmm. you know all these other kind of like topics that are popular right now and so i'm i've paid for one reader the problem is that it's not everywhere like i have to pay for it on my phone and pay for it on my computer. Um, so I'm trying to decide if that, that's what I'm going to do. But I think that might be my better way to kind of keep my sanity because it kind of keeps all those discourses, which your eye just kind of goes to. They're designed that way, you know, literally to engage you in that way. And then other social networks, I don't hardly use at all. Like, I...
1: I uh, wait, what's the reader? Uh, sorry, I just don't know that. Um,
0: oh, the one that I'm using is called TweetBot. And and that just filters uh, some tweets out for you? Or what does it do? It basically can give you just an unadulterated feed timeline from you know beginning to end. Uh-huh. It doesn't have a sidebar saying these things are popular. It doesn't have. Let me see if I open it up here. Does it? And it sorts it in a different way. Is that right? Or yeah, it sorts it just in in a chronological okay. list, which is kind of like how blogs always used to be. And I I really like it. It has a separate little side thing for mentions and direct messages. Mm-hmm. And so that is all the kind of the basic features. I like how it shows media, too. It does it in kind of a nice way. I don't know. It's just...
1: It's a sort of just a, a mask over Twitter that that sorts it in a different yeah, way. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's a
0: client. Yeah, and I see. they kind of crippled a lot of them before in some of the features that they can have. But I, but I think it's enough. And I'm trying to move back to something like this because it just... Mm-hmm. It's just calmer. Does that make sense? Um, <laughs> I don't need like to be bombarded all the time. So anyway, I'm just thinking about it.
1: Yeah, the the Twitter project that you built in the series doesn't do any of that.
0: <laughs> it's very it's right, just, right, right. All the stuff to kind of create <laughs> engagement and yeah. But
1: uh, and you said you don't use any, uh, you hardly use any other social networks for.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say I, I use Facebook a little bit because I do this dog agility thing with my uh, border collie Mm -hmm. and that's the only way they announce things and tell stuff. And so that's kind of what's become the thing with Facebook is that it's still kind of a, the place for like groups Mm -hmm. for good or bad. And I'll occasionally like just check on it, but I, I, hardly spend any time on it because again similar stuff
1: and for connecting with friends and family you uh, that's not over social networks for you
0: no that was the way i used to do it but i Mm -hmm. i haven't been doing as much of that at all and yeah so it's kind of like i I would rather do these weekly calls with my (laughs) family as opposed to like you know following individual tweets and things so yeah
1: for my family like no one really uses social networks okay so that wouldn't even work for if I wanted to connect with my family over social networks, <laughs> I don't. I wouldn't get any information like that. Right. It's just I don't know whether that's, uh, Um, I'm sure it's not, but I I do think like social media is somewhat more um ingrained for a s- slightly longer time, I guess, in the US than it is.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think so too. Yeah.
1: Uh, here in Austria, um, so it might be like a generational thing that my parents. I think they are. My, I don't I'm pretty sure my dad's not on Facebook but I think my mom's on Facebook but uh, I don't think she she ever posts anything there
0: or <laughs> I wonder if there is a cultural difference in in different countries too Yeah I wonder Yeah who do you who do you connect with on like things like Twitter
1: So yeah I don't I honestly don't use it much myself I I, I have accounts on like the most uh, the big bigger social networks but I've never been very actively posting. I I have a Twitter account similar to uh, how you described it that's uh, like a programming Twitter account uh, where, where I do connect and where I follow some people in the Python and programming community and uh, but I don't I don't think I, I post anything valuable so <laughs> no point in following me if you're, <laughs> if you're interested in learning about programming I guess. Okay. I just post every once in a like maybe every two months there's like a, a hello as a going? Yeah, yeah, type yeah. of post <laughs> with, oh look, this there's this interesting tutorial that came out <laughs> something, right? <laughs> but yeah, people I got to know over social media. Like one thing that comes to mind now is that uh, I did I used to do um, a learning Twitch stream uh, a while ago when a friend of uh, and and me were learning a fast AI. Okay, that's a machine learning, you know, a library, and we just kind of streamed the the process of learning this. I ended up getting to know a nice guy who, who joined who saw this stream and then we exchanged a couple of messages on twitter that that's like the thing that comes to mind uh, of like someone i got to know through, through twitter there was a nice connection but uh, yeah it's not it's not a main uh, yeah it's not really a main way for me that i get to know people or or even share information
0: well i wonder about that like would you use it to a very common theme that i've seen is career changes Mm-hmm. And that's maybe how I'm treating Twitter a bit myself is like, this is kind of like career Twitter, <laughs> you know, like, uh, like these are kind of uh, colleagues, um, people I'm connecting to mm-hmm. in, in that way. And so I I don't, I, I've occasionally shared like some personal things. Like I've shared some like electronic projects I was working on and, and things like that. Mostly I've been like, I share repost like articles or other kinds of mm-hmm. interesting things. And then obviously, yeah, same. you know, make announcements about uh, thanks for coming on the show. And it's interesting
1: to think of uh, you know like the the professional Twitter or programming Twitter yeah. as kind of like it's your all everyone's your colleague. <laughs> <And> you <kinda laughs> yeah, in a weird way, right? Of, what are they doing right now? And oh, they're at this company, but we're still kind of colleagues, even though you work in uh, <laughs> you know very different companies, but in the same field or something. Yeah, so that's that's an interesting.
0: It's a weird way to kind of think of it, and it, and it's different from like even like a LinkedIn thing, which I never really got into mm-hmm. uh, either. I mean, I have a thing there but like i don't engage with it but i think it's still a kind of a useful place to 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 make those kinds of maybe business connections or at least see kind of what's happening with it and then i i do think it's a good place sometimes to you know maybe get advice about a particular thing like i i asked brett about this like how he was using it to do like polls um he has enough of a following where he can like mm-hmm. put, post a poll and, and get like a hundred answers which I think is really kind of cool. Like, I think that's a neat way to use it. But yeah, it's, it's, you have to really be proactive in how you're using it. Otherwise, it can kind of become overwhelmed by, <laughs> by, you know, how it's being, you know, used in, I don't know, not against you, but like basically co opting, you know, your use of it in, in a way. <laughs> I, I think this is a fun uh, digression, and we don't usually talk about <laughs> personal stuff as much. <laughs> yeah, and I don't. Yeah,
1: I don't. Yeah, I don't have any sort of answers here. It's, but it's maybe it's good to think about it every once in a while. Also, yeah, yeah. As a developer, that you are in this position when you when you create tools, they have an effect, and it's uh, it's good to think about it. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And you got you don't have to be perfect, obviously, but yeah, it's good to keep it in mind somehow. To to come back to to the actual tutorial. In part four, probably the most interesting part is is, is this preventing these double submissions. Yeah, if you if you don't set up a redirect, is the way that I'm handling here in the tutorial. That uh, after you submit one of those messages, you could just do a reload, and the message would continue being submitted unless you implement something in there. And uh, I think that's that's an interesting thing to go through. Also this process of understanding why does it get resubmitted when you reload? And then also how can you prevent that with, with redirects and with this bound and unbound forms, essentially like having an unbound form that come, that gets loaded on on a GET request so that you get this empty form without the data. And then the user can fill up the form. And when they submit it and it goes through, then a bout form gets created and that gets sent to the database, right? And then you redirect someone else and you load this other form. So it starts, starts off empty again, even if someone just reloads.
0: Yeah. Quick sum up on, of that one, yeah. This week, I want to shine a spotlight on another Real Python video course. Continuing with the theme of the episode, it's about Django. When you start building any new Django web application, there's basic setup that you need to tackle first. And this course is titled, How to Set Up a Django Project. The course is based on an article by this week's guest, Martin Broyce, And he takes you through installing Django, setting up a virtual environment, pinning your project dependencies, setting up your project, and then starting a Django app, and covers techniques to manage a slimmer structure for your Django project. I think it's a worthwhile investment of your time to learn the fundamental steps to properly set up a Django project, and to get a solid understanding of the structure of a Django application. Like most of the video courses on RealPython, the course is broken into easily consumable sections, and all RealPython courses have a transcript, including closed captions. Check out the video course. You can find a link in the show notes, or you can find it using the enhanced search tool on realpython.com. you also provide like you mentioned already the the idea that if somebody wants to to explore the deeper sides of you know user management or hosting that we have these separate tutorials for those kinds of things and those resources are available mm-hmm.
1: well and then it's you can you could actually if you manage to host uh, like if you implement both the user authentication and allowing people to create accounts and then deploy it somewhere on Heroku, for example, then you can actually start inviting your friends and family to your own social network.
0: Yeah. I, I actually, you know, I mentioned that one um Flask one. And the singer from Weezer Rivers <laughs> Cuomo, he has a he has his own little site mm-hmm. uh that kind of does the does that. It's like a a, a micro <laughs> little social network. I think he calls it Mr. Rivers neighborhood because he always likes to wear the sweaters, right? <laughs> and uh <laughs> and I thought that was really kind of a kind of a cool implementation. I think in a way, you know, you can get real burnt out on having your public persona on these bigger sites like we were just talking about. And he was able to 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 use this sort of micro site. And he has separate um, I guess they're more almost forums in a way. Mm-hmm that he has this sort of engagement with his fans and people talking to each other and it, it's very very much like what you have here so I, I could see a tool like this being created and you know like if you have your own little sort of programming community to, to have this kind of cool little micro blog that's maybe a little more dynamic in a way than you know like if you go to a site and you're l- l- trying to learn something about it, like a message board It's it's a little more dynamic uh-huh. than that um, where you can you can follow specific individuals or um, mm-hmm. you know broadcast across things depending how you want to do it and you have kind of a little more relationship and there's also a, a profile for yourself right mm-hmm. um, so these things are a little different than like a, a straight message board uh, or forum
1: right and I mean and there's obviously one uh, little disclaimer you should. We should always put, uh, <laughs> when saying something like, oh, you could build your own. Right. It's always like, th- there's great, there's already great solutions out there uh, that are that are not Facebook or Twitter or something. Like, I think there's Mastodon, it's like self, self-hosted social networks that you can have these small things that, that have uh, some good design decisions, I think. And yeah, if you, if you really, if it's really just, if it's not about the process of building it, then uh, it's probably better that you find something that works <laughs> if it's about the community. <laughs>
0: yeah are there other things that you would have added to this if this was going to be like your own personal uh portfolio project you were going to put this in here and then maybe share it with someone else are there other things that you feel like oh i I would definitely add this for uh before i I share it with like a potential employer or whatever
1: so i think like just for me personally i think i would wanna uh, maybe implement something like this this blocking functionality just as a you know good good uh, being a good citizen and sure right uh, showing that I'm somewhat aware of my design decisions thinking about my users yeah <laughs> <laughs> that and the user authentication I think is a good good idea to add as well because otherwise um you really need an admin user to create yeah. the, all the users that's how it is at the moment with this project if you don't add the um the possibility for users to create an account so i think these two uh these two features is something that i would have added and okay but then i think uh, i'd feel comfortable just showing it off
0: (laughs) yeah cool well i have the weekly questions and i don't know if we've done this since our first (laughs) time together i don't think we have it's been a while i think we talked we talked projects the other time you were on yeah so what are you excited about in the world of python currently
1: So what I'm currently excited uh, about is something that's been on the back burner for me for a relatively long time, which is that I'm kind of still in the early stages of a a master's program in geographical information science. Oh, cool. So that's like online mapping, essentially. Yeah. And there's a program that's used in this, um, there's a program, you know, a digital program (laughs) that's used in my university program. Okay, sure.
0: Uh, <laughs> yeah, define them, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs>
1: That's pretty common in this uh, ma- mapping community called ArcGIS. Yeah. And yeah, and it runs on Windows only. And I've been working on a, a Mac computer for, I don't know, for a really long time. And I've always had troubles trying to get this pro- program to run properly and, uh, you know, do any sort of uh, <laughs> real work on it. Right. Um, and recently, I got uh, a new Windows computer so I'm pretty excited to try to set this up there and then try to work with Python on it because when I first started looking at that, I didn't know a ton of programming and ArcGIS actually has uh, a Python API um, and I think it's maybe it's built in Python or at least it definitely has an API that you can interact with the whole program using Python. It's probably not built in Python. Uh, but yeah, there is a Python API for the program and you can do a lot of the tasks um, programmatically. And so I'm I'm kind of curious to see how deep I can get with that and how much of the, uh, the tasks, the mapping-related tasks, uh, I can actually accomplish with like, my Python knowledge um, and automating some of the tedious work and the interface that I really dislike
0: to look at. <laughs> <It's been laughs> okay. Somewhat detracting for me to, to do my work on that. <laughs> that's great. That sounds like a lot of fun. That, that's a topic that, uh, having done some work in environmental science that I've mentioned several times, uh, back in Hawaii, mm-hmm. I know a lot of people that that use those tools.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I haven't I haven't really done anything about that yet. But it's I'm curious about it too. To yeah, cool. Dive into that a bit. Mm-hmm.
0: All right, awesome. So the next question is, what do you want to learn next?
1: Uh, well, so for me, that's gonna be uh, my wife and I are actually expecting a baby in the next couple of days. Yeah, uh, it's getting pretty close. Yeah,
0: congratulations and again. So, <laughs> thank you
1: pretty exciting, and that's going to be a big topic in my life moving forward. So, learning things about parenthood and just how to be a good partner and a good dad yeah. is going to be a big topic in my life, I think.
0: <laughs> so, any resources that have stood out for you?
1: Uh, honestly, not really. Just randomly going over the internet, but I couldn't tell you any specific resources. Okay, just reading here
0: and there. There used to be quite the. I mean, I'm guessing there's still quite the industry behind that. I'm sure there is. Of like teaching you about parenting.
1: Yeah. <laughs> We've definitely been getting, you know, Google ads uh, <laughs> that are targeted. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, definitely. People becoming parents. But. <laughs> everything shifted suddenly. What's going on? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay, cool. Well, again, congratulations. And, you know, I wish you both the best of luck. and Thank you. Everything. There, because it, it sounds like it's going to be pretty soon. so
1: It's going to be pretty soon. Yeah? <laughs>
0: yeah, Cool. Hey, Martin, thanks so much for taking time to come talk to me. And I look forward to having to come back on the show again.
1: Pleasure. Thanks, Chris.
0: And don't forget, honey badger. Badger, 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 mushroom, mushroom, badger, 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 badger a snake. Oh, it's a snake. Go to honeybadger.io to get error monitoring on your site and get that song out of your head. I wanna thank Martin Royce for coming on the show again. And I wanna thank you for listening to The Real Python Podcast. Make sure that you click that follow button in your podcast player. And if you see a subscribe button somewhere, remember that The Real Python Podcast is free. If you like the show, please leave us a review. You can find show notes with links to all the topics we spoke about inside your podcast player, or at realpython.com slash podcast. And while you're there, you can leave us a question or a topic idea. I've been your host, Christopher Bailey, and look forward to talking to you soon.